Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice, and we're excited to share they've recently launched dedicated CPU instances. If you have build boxes, CI/CD, video encoding, machine learning, game servers, databases, data mining, or application servers that need to be full duty, 100% CPU all day, every day, then check out Linode's dedicated CPU instances. These instances are fully dedicated and shared with no one else, so there's no CPU steal or competing for these resources with other Linodes. Pricing is very competitive and starts out at 30 bucks a month. Learn more and get started at linode.com slash changelog. Again, linode.com slash changelog. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stankoviak, editor-in-chief here at Changelog. Today, Jared and I are talking to Greg Kurtzer, the founder of CentOS, Werewolf, and most recently, Singularity, an open-source container platform designed to be fast, simple, and secure. It's optimized for enterprise and high-performance computing workloads. And what's interesting is how Singularity allows untrusted users to run untrusted containers in a trusted way. We cover the backstory, Singularity Pro, and how they're not holding the open source community version hostage, as well as how Singularity is being used to containerize and support workflows in artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, and so much more. So Greg, I have to tell you that Singularity was not on my radar, it wasn't on Adam's radar, but we had two different people ping us, uh, listeners of the show. First, Jacob Chapel. AKA PHP Havoc. Thanks, Jacob. And then Andre Marcelo Tanner. Mm. I feel like I've ruined that name before. KZAP. KZAP. KZAP, we know well. He hangs out on our Slack. Uh, within a few days, saying, hey, you got to do a show on Singularity. And they both gave really strong pitches. So it seems like maybe you have a hidden gem here. There's lots of people using it, but there's a lot of other people who have no idea what Singularity is. So let's just start off with what it is, and then we'll figure out you know, why it's so quiet. That is a that is a great question. So um, probably best to start off with a little bit of my background and what what created it and what caused it and why that there is this um, large amount of uh, of users. I mean, we've definitely hit critical mass, but nobody knows of it. So it's yeah. this kind of weird dichotomy. And so uh, to start to start off with, uh, you know, I've I've spent a number of years, almost twenty years, working for Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory as a high performance computing architect. In that role, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of researchers, a lot of scientists, and, and people that had problems that they needed to solve computationally. In that, in that role, um, I would develop these large HPC systems in order to solve the, the problems or whatever they had that, that we had to, to build up for. So about, I'd say maybe six years ago now at this point, time flies, scientists started asking for containers. And, you know, my site, as well as a lot of other sites, started looking at, you know, the various container options that exist out there. Mostly, it was all Docker at that point. And when we looked through this, and, you know, we, we looked at the architecture of Docker, and we, we know the architecture of our HPC resources pretty well, you know, we tried to superimpose one upon the other and found that, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing against, you know, Docker or the security or anything regarding Docker. Docker is a fantastic solution. It was the 
designed for something very specific. But that architecture didn't transpose very well to high-performance computing. I mean, we have, you know, sometimes 10, hundreds, or even thousands of unprivileged users. Users that don't have root, users that are just regular users on the system, and they have shell access. And they're going to run their HPC and their compute-focused jobs across, you know, lots of nodes, maybe, you know, hundreds or thousands of compute nodes. And the, the, the Docker solution was just, was just not really fitting that, um, that need. So uh, I basically, you know, I would respond to most of the users and the scientists, and I'd say, um, no, sorry, we can't support containers on the system. This went on for, hmm, I would say, uh, at least half a year of basically just having to keep saying, no, I'm sorry, we can't do it, to the point where I, I, I did something kind of novel, which is I, I asked the scientists and the researchers and the users, I said, what problems are you trying to solve? What is the issue? And uh, you know, wh wh why are you asking for containers? And we got some really interesting and, and fantastic responses. And a lot of it is along the lines of we needed things like um, reproducible software stacks. We need mobility of compute. Um, we need uh, uh, absolute control of the environment that we need to run on an HPC system and, and so on and so forth. There's more. And from the HPC side, from a system side, we're like, okay, well, we can't give any of these users root. We can't give them any mechanism to get root. Um, so we have to build something that's very specific. We have to support workflows like MPI and, and other compute-based workflows and um, resource managers, which are kind of like the equivalent of orchestrators in the enterprise world. Um, and we have, to, we have to support all of this sort of stuff and support this, this infrastructure. So I started looking at this and I said, well, okay, if I were to develop a solution from scratch, what would that look like? And, and I prototyped something. And when I prototyped it, I showed it to a few scientists who basically said, this is fantastic. When can you install it? I thought, well, first I need to actually write it. <laughs> this is a prototype, not something that I can actually install. Uh, you know, I've, I've created various projects in the open source realm. And, and the one thing that seems to be somewhat consistent is every time I start a big open source project, I, I know it's going to be successful when the first implementation of it, the first version sucks and people laugh at. If I write something and, and it, it, you know, it gets out there and, you know, people start saying, this is, this isn't all that good. You know, this is, you're kind of on some good ideas here, but the first implementation just kind of, you know, let, let's start over. Let's, let's wipe it and, and begin why, again. Why do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. I think I'm just weird. Um, I see things <laughs> a little differently. And um, so the first version was actually ended up being extraordinarily like what Ubuntu snaps is today. Very, very okay. similar to that. It was basically, I was doing a P-trace of an application run as it executes. I was watching all of the system calls of everything that it's opening and building a environment, a reproducible environment based on that, based on that P-trace, um, that, 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 that run. And then I would build a, what looks like a container out of that. Um, that was version one of Singularity. Um, released it. And everyone basically said the same thing. This is great. You're on to some really great ideas here, but we need, we need more to really make this, this fantastic. So when, when, when people started articulating this to me, I said, well, okay, so we have to, we have to revamp this a little bit. And, you know, I, I, I decided early on that the first major version is going to articulate the format of the container image. One of the, you know, 
Uh, I'm jumping around here a lot, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but one of the one of the reasons why we call it singularity is because it uses a, a single image format, and um, and that is used from day one. So we basically said that as soon as we hit the version, as soon as we um, as soon as we make that change in the uh, in the container for image format, we have to integrate. Um, excuse me, we have to increment the major version of singularity. So within like two months, we went from version one to version two, and um, version two lasted that's for progress. years. and version two lasted lasted for years i mean um the uptake was just phenomenal uh within about six months it was installed on most of the biggest supercomputers in the world um and just continues to grow through not just high performance computing but through this whole new area of enterprise focused compute like Uh ai machine learning compute-driven analytics, data science, all of these new areas that enterprise, non-traditionally compute-focused centers are now trying to do compute all of a sudden. And mm. Singularity really being designed for that, for that compute focus um, and being really good at that and solving the problems on data mobility, containerization mobility, um, uh, reproducible ro- workflows, trusted containers, right? Uh, being able to sign your actual container image, package that up, and then move it around, and then know that you can always validate and guarantee immutability, um, guarantee the fact that it's not been tampered with, things like that. Um, singularity, you know, this was this was this is basically in the direct architecture of Singularity. I mean, this is this, these are some of the primary tenets of why we created it. So it makes it a very smooth transition going from HPC and science-focused compute. The yeah. things like AI and machine learning and, and, and so on and these other areas. So we, we've built this critical mass. We have a lot of users using Singularity at this point. Um, I did a download um, and, a, and a GitHub uh, clone count. And um, of course, you have to approximate this quite a bit. Um, but we're, we're basically looking at over a quarter million downloads at this point. And um, we, we can account for being installed on some of the, the biggest supercomputers in the world and actually even being on the RFPs as line items for some of the biggest computers in the world. So um, we, we've, we've have great advances. You know, we, we, we have a huge community at this point, yet nobody outside of compute yeah. has even heard of Singularity. So a couple of thoughts there. First of all, we did a show about high-performance computing last year. It's actually looking at the ship date. It was almost to the day with Todd Gamblin, uh, who's a listener and a friend of ours. He works at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, and he was sharing this whole world that Adam and I know very little about. And there seems to be a, a, a gap between what we call, I don't know, like industry or developers versus academia and research. Uh, and the people who are doing high-performance computing, there just hasn't been much overlap in knowledge sharing and tooling and stuff like this. And so that kind of sometimes explains, like, why, you know, why is this brand new to so many people? And yet, like you said, inside of that community, you guys have hit critical mass. You have huge computers running this. You have NVIDIA using it. You have Harvard. You have, like, all these very important institutions using it, but no, very few people have heard about it. And it seems like maybe what you what you point I just want to highlight what you pointed out there. It seems like maybe artificial intelligence needs with deep learning and other high performance computing needs are now moving over into enterprise 
And that might be kind of the tie that binds these two worlds together, or at least starts to. Yeah, there is a, a, a person that I, that I love to quote for this line. Um, Al Guerra, a fellow at Intel, has said that the, um, the cross-pollination of AI uh, traditional simulation, which is HPC and compute, uh, machine learning, and so on and so forth, we're going to end up with, with systems and, and technology that is basically crossing those, those, those chasms. You know, we're, we're basically able to start tying some of this together. Some mm-hmm. of the compute side that's coming from HPC, as well as the compute side that enterprise is looking at, and, and leverage the technology from both. So, for example, uh, we've been doing things like with, with distributed parallel uh, jobs for a long time. We know how to do that. We know how to do things like parallel file systems. We know how to do things like very efficient batch scheduling, right? And on the, on the enterprise right. side, the, the HPC world is like, well, now there's this new thing about, called orchestration. How can we redevelop some of our scientific workflows to be service-based compute versus batch-based compute? And how right. can we use that to do real-time analytics, data processing, uh, and so on and so forth using this new technology called orchestration? And, and how, do we, how do we cross that chasm? And so Singularity has been picked out as being, you know, from, from a lot of different organizations, as being this primary area for cross-pollination. And um, yeah, so this is, this is where we see a huge opportunity. And, and we're starting to see a lot of uptake in the needs of, as I said before, enterprise-focused compute. Mm-hmm. And we're also seeing that this is a new area. Right, so I, I spoke to one uh, enterprise who is really leading the advancement in, for, for them at least, in AI. They're doing a phenomenal job there, but at the same token, they don't have anything to do like with batch schedulers. They don't have anything to do with um, distribution of jobs and actually building up an infrastructure and a resource that can actually support, you know, hundreds or thousands of these AI type jobs and 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 the training of these AI. Uh, uh, models. So huh. we're seeing some really interesting um, necessity for that cross-pollination just because um, you know, what's new in enterprise, HPC has been doing for 30 years, right. but what's, but, but the, and vice versa is happening, right? Some of the new developments in enterprise and massive scale and support for this massive scale is now starting to get an interest in the HPC world, both science as well as commercially driven HPC. That's awesome. It just it goes to one of the things that I I talk about a lot on this show, which is the the cross pollination of ideas and techniques and even code from one industry to another or from one, you know, language like slash ecosystem to another. And just the ben- the benefits of that across the open source world are are amazing to behold. It sounds like there's a really big market opportunity here, maybe an arbitrage where you have like, (laughs) here's a bunch of stuff that HPC people are good at. And here's a bunch of enterprises who are ready to make money off of these things and they need those things. And so maybe that's where uh, Singularity and Scilabs trying to sit in that gap and fill that need. Can I bring you on my pitch when I go out to VCs and whatnot? Because (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yes. Yes. Huge opportunity. Yeah, there you go. So just listen to this and, and buy this license or whatever you're, whatever you're selling. Yes. Oh, pitch. Yes. Yeah, so we're raising money for sure. Okay. So one of the things I did want to talk about, you mentioned that your version one, you know, it was, it was really just a go at it and it was like to, kind of a proof of concept maybe, or um, 
like you said, if, if people are somewhat skeptical or they think you're crazy, maybe you're onto a good idea. Your version two seemed like maybe that was a semantic versioning kind of a thing where it was just like a, it was going to break existing users. And so that's why you went to two. Uh, one thing that KZAP said in his pitch, speaking of pitches, on why we should do this show with you is that there was this big rewrite for version three from Python and Bash to Go and C. Uh, just curious if you could maybe elucidate, you know, why the rewrite, what, you know, how'd it go, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And and by the way, I, I love how you're reasoning through that. Yeah, it was it was definitely it was a it was a proof of concept version one, and mm-hmm. we we totally meant to do that. Um, <laughs> in 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 reality, um, that's funny. It, we meant to do it, that, but maybe not. <laughs> Everything's yeah, intentional in ticket. retrospect, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I like I like how you you positioned it like that. Um, like Take me on your pitches. I'm I'm good at this. <laughs> so. Um, oh, what was the question? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so as we've been moving forward, so, so version one was this kind of, um, uh, prototype, right? Proof of concept. Version mm-hmm. two is, you know, it basically solidified the idea and kind of the model of what we want to do and where we're going with it. But it was also developed in a silo. So, I mean, it's over three years old at this point. This is before OCI existed. This is before CNCF existed. It was pretty much, it was Docker. Everybody talking about containers was talking about Docker. Docker, of course, wasn't the only container system at this point, but it was right. definitely the lion's share in terms of what brought Docker, uh, what brought containers, excuse me, and created a household name uh, for containers. So, so most everything was really focused towards, towards Docker at this point. We did some work to enable the compatibility with Docker because there were a lot of containers, or there are a lot of containers that are in Docker Hub and Docker registries and and whatnot. So we basically took the Singularity base, um, which is actually, uh, you know, the first version of Singularities, um, as well as the second version, was predominantly C. Uh, and I, I wrote, you know, mostly in C. Um, and we had some fantastic contributions and, and people from the community that jumped on board and, and basically said, well, we've got a whole bunch of containers that are out there in Docker. We need to support those containers. We need to somehow leverage those existing containers, that existing work, bring that into singularity in a way that makes sense, and then build, um, uh, build support for that. So that was what we've done through version two. So the first version of singularity version two didn't support Docker at all. Um, but as we got to 2.1, 2.2, and so on and so forth, that was brought in via Python. So we had a, a, a bunch of code that was written um, Vanessa uh, Sokat from, from Stanford has done a fantastic job at, at building all of that and bringing in that support uh, for compatibility with Docker. But in the end, it wasn't in Go. Uh, and, you know, so it was kind of a, it was kind of a re-implementation. Looking at the, the public documentation, looking at the API, what can we do uh-huh. with it, and, and how do we re-implement that? So it never had perfect support for Docker. Um, and, and really it was just because we were not using OCI slash Docker code. So when we started evaluating, you know, what should we be doing as we're moving forward? Um, singularity was really, you know, we spent our life in a silo, we, in a silo of, of science and HPC, focusing on that side of compute. From the time that we, we introduced singularity, we developed singularity and we're on our own pathway, which is different than what the rest of the enterprise ecosystem was going in, right? We had OCI develop, CNCF, and we had um, other container runtimes that are kind of coming, coming up and, 
um, and, and getting, gaining headway and gaining traction, but they're all kind of still focused on the, on the same kind of set of original goals as what Docker was, was focused on. And here we are going in a completely opposite direction. And to speak honestly, you know, we're just as much to blame for the lack of cross-pollinization as anyone because we weren't looking. We were not watching what enterprise is doing. So we came up yeah. with a solution. We're going in our way, doing our thing. And it wasn't until later when people started saying, you know, this is, this is, we're using this for AI or this is the perfect solution now for AI or enterprise-focused compute. Here's the tools and here's, here's the uh, applications and here's the, the APIs that we need to support as we're going towards enterprise. And that, that has a lot to do with like Kubernetes. And so we're like, okay, how do we um, now backtrack and start supporting a lot of uh, what the enterprise and what the industry has, has already standardized mm -hmm. on? So now we had to like back up and say, what's the best way of doing this? Now, because we developed in a silo, things are really different. Um, for us than they are for what most people are used to when they, when they, when they think of containers. So we do have a, a it's a, it is a very different structure. It's a very different um, feel for containers. So for example, a container is an actual file. It's a file that sits in, on, on your computer. If you want to move that container somewhere else, well, you can SCP it. You can right. FTP it. You can, you can transfer it however you want. You can put it on an NFS server um, or in, 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 in HPC realm, you can put it on a parallel file server like Luster uh, or GPFS, and you can run it from there. Um, and so it's, it's a very different, you know, kind of look and feel. So if you want to run a container, the command is literally singularity shell and pointing at that file. If you want to run a Docker container, well, the command is singularity shell Docker colon slash slash and pointed at that registry or Docker hub or wherever it is. If you want to run from an OCI bundle or something, you know, we support that too now. So um, to get back on track, I, my, my thoughts kind of bounce all over the place. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, but, okay. uh, we basically, we developed in a silo. Um, we were going in our own direction. We realized later, um, kind of late to the party that the rest of the ecosystem went in a different direction and now we got to go play catch up. So we spent, um, we, we spent some, uh, some time we invested in how do we properly interface with things like Kubernetes? How do we properly support? Um, new types of compute-based workflows. How do we um, absolutely 100% trust the containers that we run on? So, you know, things like cryptographic validation, um, things like uh, encryption, right? How do we do that? So those are the things that we've been working on and we've solved most of them at this point. Um, but again, it's, it's a different solution than what most people are used to. So we're, we're kind of a little late to the party, even though we were early to the party. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like there's two parties and then it's mm. like let's merge these two parties into one hey everybody did you know singularity exists at this party over here but given your experience though in open source why i'm curious why you think you you operate in a silo yeah i was gonna ask the same thing good question that's yeah it is a good question um we operate in a silo just because of the ecosystem of what high performance computing uh is is typically like right we 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 have these these very large systems that um, are very different architecture than pretty much everything that's being done, at least to my knowledge, on the enterprise side. From our perspective, there's just not a lot of necessity for cross-pollination. And going back three, four years, you know, AI was just really starting to get, you know, pick up steam and whatnot. And most enterprises, was, it wasn't even on their roadmap yet. So there wasn't even a necessity for any cross-pollination. 
but that's, you know, from my perspective, that's really the, the, the gist of why it was kind of, you know, pigeonholed into just the mm-hmm. HPC sec. I mean, so another open source project that I created, which um, is still alive and kicking and, and actually uses the basis of something called open HPC for provisioning is a, um, a, a very large scale operating system provisioning, provisioning and management system called Werewolf. And I founded that project in 2001, still lead it today. Although honestly, I, I haven't been spending as much time on it for a couple of reasons. First off, Singularity has been, you know, taking most of my time, but also um, there's, there's, it, it's incredibly stable and the few amount of changes that we need has been basically um, driven and spearheaded by the open HPC community, which is a Linux foundation and Intel project, you know, but there's not been much cross-pollination there either. At some point, um, there were some fairly large web infrastructures that decided that they wanted to use Werewolf to manage their, um, their web server load. And, but aside from that, I, I've never heard of anybody in enterprise using, using something like Werewolf to manage all of their servers. What is the opposite of not working in a silo? Like, so if you're working in a silo, what does that look like? Do you, do you just not give talks? Do you not talk to user groups locally? Are you... Is your, are your docs not open? Are you not tweeting about like, what is not being or being in a silo look like or the opposite? So there is a, so the HPC industry is really big. Um, it's a $40 billion annual, um, at least by 2020, it's forecasted mm-hmm. to be about a 20, a $40 billion industry. There's a lot of conferences. There's a lot of user groups. There's a lot of meetups and all this, but it's all really, that whole thing is kind of like siloed. It's, it's the, the example you guys gave about, you know, there's two parties going on is I think a really yeah. good one because the people that were are, are at that party almost never go to the other side and, and right. vice versa. I mean, there's just not a lot of cross pollination. They've been com- two completely separate worlds for so long, you know, at, at one of these conferences at a, a supercomputing event, which, which last year we brought in about 13,000 people just to kind of give you an idea of scope. Usually wherever supercomputing goes, we sell out the whole city. I mean, hotels, you know, usually going for like three to five times their normal price because there's just no room anywhere. There were, there were some people from the more traditional enterprise side that are like looking at some of the primary tools and resources that we rely on in high-performance computing, confused on why they even exist because Kubernetes can do that or something else can do that. and it's. You know, there was there, there's just such a misalignment between the co- two communities and that cross pollination, especially now, as we're seeing the advent of things like artificial intelligence and machine learning focused on the enterprise side. I think this cross pollination is is really fortunate um, and it has to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. So that's, you know, and to go back to the earlier point, that's really why we're why we've created scilabs why that there's such an interest um to to commercialize this as an you know an open source project how do we better support both sides of this and how do we sit in between and offer services to both sides um and offer the benefit that both sides have been able to glean and then help to bring these two communities together (laughs) 
This episode is brought to you by Clubhouse. One of the biggest problems software teams face is having clear expectations set in an environment where everyone can come together to focus on what matters most, and that's creating software and products their customers love. The problem is that software out there trying to solve this problem is either too simple and doesn't provide enough structure, or it's too complex and becomes very overwhelming. Clubhouse solves all these problems. It's the first project management platform for software teams that brings everyone together. It's designed from the ground up to be developer first product in its DNA, but also simple and intuitive enough that all teams can enjoy using it. With a fast, intuitive interface, a simple API, and a robust set of integrations, Clubhouse seamlessly integrates with the tools you use every day and gets out of your way. Learn more and get started at clubhouse.io slash changelog. Our listeners get a bonus two free months after your trial ends. Once again, clubhouse.io slash changelog. So Greg, we both mentioned Scilabs offhanded. We've obviously been talking about singularity. You said that the reason for Scilabs uh, at the end of the last segment. Let's talk about that relationship, the dichotomy between the open source project. Maybe you can tell us about singularity licensing and all that what Scilabs brings to the table and your thoughts on commercializing open source in general. So, you know, in my, in my, with my prior hat on working for U S government department of energy, building open source projects was always, you know, it's kind of an incidental thing. You know, it's like, we need something. Let's build that. Let's hopefully the community will get involved and it'll, it'll help and, and whatnot. There was never a necessity to build a business model. Now, as I've now moved away from department of energy, created a company. Um, and this company is built around the idea of an open source uh, project that has gained a lot of momentum, gained a lot of steam. And how do you take the open source users, the open source community, and monetize it in a way that allows us to be, be not only sustainable, but hopefully a little bit profitable and um, not alienate the open source exactly. community, not do anything that creates a uh, resentment or creates um, any sort of a, a, a misalignment, right? And, and, and that's a challenge. You know, there's been a lot of companies out here that have really tried to monetize on open source projects. And, you know, it's, it's, it's again, it's a very difficult tightrope to walk. Red Hat has been incredibly successful at this, and there's been others as well, but there's also been ones that have not been successful. Uh-huh. And um, there's ones in our own ecosystem in the container world that right now is trying to figure out still, um, even though they've, they've, they've done incredibly well for themselves from a business perspective, they're still trying to figure out what that business model looks like. So I have the luxury of, of coming at it from an open source side where I, where I understand, you know, I, I've built communities, I've uh, built projects, and I've watched how companies have, have not done this right. And I've seen only a couple that actually have done this right. And so I'm taking my own stab at it. And basically the, the, the main part of what we need to be doing is we need to be making every piece of software, every line that we write um, for Singularity has to be open source. The first thing we do, we don't have a private repository uh, for Singularity within Scilabs. 
Um, we basically push everything live. Every bit of development, everything we're testing, everything we're playing with goes directly into the open source community. In a matter of speaking, metaphorically, you can almost think of that as Fedora. Mm -hmm. Then what we do is we'll take snapshots of that. As we've done releases, open source releases, we will take snapshots and we will basically say, okay, we're going to um, build this in a supportable way where we know exactly what it is. We know how we built it. We know um, how it's supposed to work. It's curated. We know exactly what this is. And this is now a supported version. We call this Singularity Pro. And, and we license that and we offer support on that. Um, but it is a feature equivalent to what's out there in the community. And we're doing that on purpose because if, if we were to add any additional features to that or make any additional spins on that that are not also available in the open source version, then what we're doing is we're holding that open source community hostage in a matter of speaking, or that project. We're holding that hostage. And we're holding that hostage to our business model. That model inherently is broken because as soon as you limit or you stunt the uptake of one, you're going to adversely affect the other. So it is a mutualistic um, synergy between mm -hmm. the open source version and the commercial version. If the open source version does fantastic, we're hoping that we get some small percentage of that that will basically move over and become you know, commercially supported. And we will then be able to, you know, build a, build a revenue line, build a business line. Now that's one, that's one business offering. I've got a question for you there on that, on that note before we move. Yeah. Does that mean that others can support singularity as well? Like you are. So I'm thinking like the tide lift models, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you can't, you're not the, you're not saying that you're the only supporter of it. It just means that you're taking those snapshots that you can put them to the side, call it singularity pro and provide support and licensing. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a risk, right? Yeah. Um, but that's the risk with open source. I mean, anybody can always fork an open source project and then, and then spin it their own way. I like how you're not um, holding it hostage. You said that that's, that's the point I wanted to get at was that you're not even holding the business model hostage. We believe a hundred percent that if you build a company and you build, and, and this is one of the reasons why I think my, my open source projects have always done very well. It's because I, I build these based on integrity. I build it based on um, stated values, stated ethics. And I maintain that. I believe that the best project, the best product, and the best supplier is going to win. And what makes someone the best is, well, you're not only doing a fantastic job of what it is that you're, you're set out to do, but you're also, you, you have a high level of integrity. Mm -hmm. You have a high level of respect um, and you want to work with people. So if somebody else were to come along and try to fork Singularity, well, they're going to not only have to beat me on being better at support, but they're also going to have to beat us at being, you know, higher levels of integrity and everything else. And, um, and if that's the case, then they deserve to win. Uh, yeah. so that's the game that we're playing is, is we want to be the best and, uh, we have an advantage because the primary developers of singularity, you can believe I've, I have lured and hired because <laughs> it's not just me anymore. Um, and as a matter of fact, I've hired, uh, and, and recruited people into the open source community and into the company who are much better people at developing software, much smarter than I am. Because believe me, I'm, I, many people can do this better than I can. Um, uh, you know, I told you about my version one already. <laughs> so um, well, I, I changed your direction. Though. Go back to where you were going. I, I, I don't want to derail you completely. <laughs> um, where was I going? <laughs> I don't know. Completely derailed. <laughs> good, good job, Adam. Sorry about that. 
So uh, I'm trying to remember what you, what the question was. Can but you're you moving on from the fact that you're not holding the open source hostage by describing, oh. you know, you supporting it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So um, our first, the, the, the first product that we have is basically just a, a respawn version of the open source code that's out there. And we professionally support it. We offer professional services. We offer, you know, support for it, education, everything you can imagine. It, it's, it's somewhat obligatory, right? We have a open source project. We have this piece of software that we're supporting and we're maintaining out there. Um, we have to we have to be able to support it. We have to be able to help people with it. So those are the obligatory kind of offerings. Then we have some uniqueness that this particular um, container system offers. So, for example, one of these is we support cryptographic signatures. I've alluded to this already previously. So. If you were to sign a container, and remember our containers are a different format from OCI, right? This, this is a new format. Um, the format is capable of supporting OCI and encapsulating OCI and Docker containers and, and whatnot. So we can take all of that and we can properly encapsulate it into a single file. We no longer require any registries or anything to run that. But because it's now in a single file, a single binary file that has an open standard behind it, we can do things like cryptographically sign it. And in this file, which was originally modeled after the ELF binary, uh, we can add a object block for a cryptographic signature. So now this cryptographic signature block can basically do things like guarantee immutability and whatnot of the file and, and accountability, right? This is really interesting because when you validate, it, 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 when you build a container, when you sign a container, it uses a very traditional PGP type um, public and private uh, uh, keys to do this. So you're going to sign with a private key. Nobody else has that private key. And when you distribute it, you want to share your public key out. So when people validate, they're going to be validating against your public key and they can guarantee again, immutability. And because they have your publicly, your public key, I can't say that right now, I guess you have, they have your public key. They can guarantee accountability. They know who signed it, right? So one opportunity that we have is to add value to this open source project. So whether somebody's using this as an open source project or whether somebody's using our commercial project, if we were to, let's say, host a key store for public keys, so it's very easy to cryptographically sign your containers, push those keys into our key management service, and then however you distribute your container, wherever you bring it, you can do a singularity verify pointed at that file and it knows how to contact our key store or you can run your own key store on-prem and validate that container and see who signed it so you can say for example now you can say definitively well if i trust greg i will trust any containers that he creates if i trust ubuntu or if i trust nvidia or red hat or SUS, right as long as they have a, their key, they've signed it with their key, you can now absolutely guarantee that level of trust. This is really important when you start thinking about some of the recent CVEs that just happened within the container ecosystem. Right? There was a, um, a, a malicious container could actually uh, do damage to the container uh, runtime on the host. Such that, you know, let's say, for example, you're using Run C or using, you know, Docker or something, right? If you were to spin up a malicious container, it can actually create a Trojan inside that 
um, that that program that basically spun it out. So Run C was you know had a CVE just recently against it um, because of that's this. not supposed to be possible. Oh, it's not supposed to be, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you understand how these things work. You that's can't do why that. the the signature is so important. Yeah, so you can do from our perspective, you can do one of two things, or you should do one of two things. You should absolutely never, never run a container as root. That's first off. Second off, if you have to run a container as root, you should never, under any circumstance, run an untrusted container as root. All right. So here, here's a really simple example. As a system administrator, um, I imagine that there's, there's a lot of system administrators that are going to be listening to this show. So as a system administrator who has root on a very high visibility production system, it's probably discouraged. It's probably looked down upon to go to the internet, download a whole bunch of random code and start executing it as root on your production system. Right? You don't want to run untrusted code as root. Now the container ecosystems do what they can to isolate, but you know, there's always going to be this, you know, at least from my perspective, and this is, you know, this is now I'm I'm getting into religion. So I'm sorry if I'm going up (laughs) against somebody's religion here, but, um, if you're, you know, POSIX was kind of defined um, around the idea of, of users and privilege and whatnot. And we, we have a very um, strong standard for, well, the super user is the super user, right? right. You, you have, when you're root, you're root. The whole right. system is yours. Now, what we're doing with the container ecosystem is we're saying, yeah, but root over here is not the same as root over here, is not the same as root over here. Everything's seeing kind of this different thing. But at the same token, POSIX is defined and, our you know, traditional Unix standards have defined that, well, root is root, right? So we're trying to limit what root can do. And I know I'm going off on another tangent here again, but that's kind of the premise of this, you know, the security issue from our perspective, right? Yeah. If you want to limit the exposure, well, don't run it as root, but if you have to run it as root, make sure it's trusted. We offer a trusted solution here. So going back now to the business model, and I'm sorry again for the tangent, in terms of the business model, we have a key store and this key store plus singularity plus the design of the singularity image format gives us the ability to absolutely trust these container environments. So if you're going to run it as root, you should run something you trust. And we offer that as a service now. So um, it, is a, it is a free service that we're offering and we're going to be um, figuring out some way of, of monetizing something at some point. Um, the business people keep telling me that that's important. So uh, working, working through that. Um, but this is, this is, is ways it a popular that you service. Can, say that again. Is it a popular service at this point or is it still new? We haven't even released at GA yet. Okay. Um, as a matter of fact, we are going to be releasing to be at GA. Yeah. In about a month. So, so we're, we're expecting to see um, some increase and, in, and, in, and uptake, but mm-hmm. at the same token, this is still brand new for people, right? I mean, most people think of containers and, and, you know, OCI has a, has a portion of their spec talking about how to sign containers and, and whatnot, but it's signing the metadata for those containers. It's not actually signing the, the, the runtime format, right? Those containers are actually tarballs and those tarballs get splat out to the disk and that creates new data. The mm-hmm. signed, the signed tarball, well, that relates to the tarball, not the new data. And then that new data could honestly take a life of its own and nobody would ever know. So there's, there's, you know, our format is the actual runtime format. So, I mean, there's no metadata, there's no like, 
There's no tarballs. There's no, I mean, you just, you download like a 10 or a hundred gigabyte container. You type in singularity shell and you're instantly inside that container because mm. it doesn't have to splat anything out the disk. Um, and it always get, and what you get is what's been signed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So that's one of our, one of our business models, which is to add value. Don't hold it hostage, but somehow add value to that open source piece of software. And we can do that commercially, right? That's a cloud service, right? That's not right. something that we're planning on opening so open sourcing. That's a, that's a cloud service. But so you're we're going free, to, so, uh, for now, yeah. for now, free for, well, free we'll, for now. we'll probably, we're, yeah. So we, we've, we've talked about the freemium thing too. Um, and you know, I, I have mixed emotions about it, but at this point, what we know for sure is we need to drive adoption. Um, we want people to use this. We want people to be able to run trusted containers. We want people to be able to leverage um, singularity in our format and, and, and make good use of it within their, their environments, their ecosystems. Um, and we have to hit critical mass, right? We're, or at least we're trying to, right? right? We've hit well, it in you, HPC. You mentioned pitch deck, so you're raising money, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're going to have to hit critical mass. Like that's, that's the trade-off, right? I mean, if it was all bootstrapped, you could open up, is it called Scilabs Cloud? I've been reading about that. Is that what you're referring to, the service? Yep. Uh, you could open that up, just charge some money from day one, and if it's, you know, if the gross revenues you know, cover your expenses and there's some leftover at the end of the day, you got your profit, <laughs> but you're <laughs> not going that one y'all. Thanks. Yep. Jared. You're welcome. <laughs> but I was saying, you're not I'm, going I'm that taking route. notes. You're, you're going for the home run. So we're, we're, we're going to drive, um, we're, we're trying to drive adoption and usage. Mm -hmm. Um, not just, not just, you know, get just enough to pay the bills. We want to actually encourage people to, to utilize this. We want to, um, help support the ecosystem and and change how people think of trusted environments we want people to um you know feel like they can absolutely trust whatever environment that they're in and 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 manage that environment like well any other data that they have to manage did you consider closed source was it even a thought just because that that simplifies business cases a lot but it complicates other things so for singularity never considered it um for our, our cloud development, uh, it, I mean, it is, it, it's, a, it's a cloud service. So you know, right. that's not something that we're open sourcing. So that is definitely a closed source. But we, we've actually, we've gotten some really interesting um, information, which is everybody's talking about cloud. Everybody's talking about getting all their apps and everything up to the cloud. And so, you know, we, we developed this, this cloud service thinking everybody wants to go up to the cloud. A really interesting spin on this is that, and it's something I totally didn't expect, is that almost everybody, well, maybe not everybody, I'm, I'm exaggerating, maybe about half of the people that we talk to wants to run that on-prem. And I wasn't expecting that. Mm -hmm. So we are figuring out how to relicense and rebrand our, our cloud um, uh, services and allow people to run those on-prem. And we have several different cloud services at this point. The key store that I was mentioning before is just one of them. Another one is a build service. So you can actually build containers without requiring root or without requiring any sort of privilege escalation because we have a service that does that in a controlled way. Um, we also have a, something called the container library. Now in compute, and I'll give a little bit of background on this, in compute, there is um, various regulations in pharma, for example, and, and, and in, um, uh, on the science side and, and the bio side, 
they have various FDA regulations even that they actually have to manage uh, the environments for any software that is that contributes to a diagnosis um, of a medical you know issue. Anytime software is involved in that, that entire stack has to be treated as a medical device. And a medical device has to be archival for five to 10 years, meaning we have to be able to reproduce those results and reproduce that environment for five to 10 years. Well, Singularity provides a perfect solution for that. So our container library, one of our services, is kind of built around the idea of what are the specific benefits of, of this binary image format that we have. and how do we archive and always allow people to um, go back to previous workflows and, and so on and so forth? So that's, that's a feature that we have in this container library. And the other one is, you know, a lot of people talk about DevOps um, and they pass recipes around. They pass the, the source code, in a matter of speaking, around uh-huh. for their environment. Well, again, because our containers are 100% um, immutable, and cryptographically verifiable, you know, why don't we just pass the container around? And then that way you never have to rebuild it. So it goes from the developer, you build that binary container, and then it can run through a DevOps pipeline that can be completely, you know, um, built up for, for whatever the pipeline is and customized um, via CI, CD, you know, integrations and whatnot, and then come out the other side as this binary immutable image has passed all of this. This gives us the ability now to inject things like uh, the security teams into yeah. the DevOps workflow, right? Because once, the, once this, 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 this pipeline, once this container image is going through this pipeline and it gets the security and security is like, okay, I've audited this. I feel good about it. I'm going to now sign it and then continue it on its way. Well, we just added a cryptographic signature on it that wherever you run in production, you can say, I'm not, I'm never going to trust this container unless it has this key, um, uh, unless it has this key, uh, fingerprint. And if it has this fingerprint that your security team owns, then I will allow it to run in production. So we are, we, it gives us the ability to do things like inject security back into the DevOps workflow and it changes things. It changes, um, how we're doing this. So all of this is in our cloud services that we're building right now. And people are asking for it for not only cloud access, but also on-prem. So in terms of, again, kind of building our, 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 our model, the yeah. idea is if we're going to build anything that's non-open source, it has to 100% add value, not hold hostage, but add value to that open source code base. This reminds me of Isaac Schluter. So we have another Dude, show right called, there with you. Were you right there with me? Yes. So we have a, a show. I'll, I'll pitch Adam's show here. Adam has a show called Founders Talk, and his most recent episode uh, of Founders Talk. We'll link it up in the show notes for listeners. It's fascinating. Uh, he spoke with Isaac Schluter, who's the co-founder and what's he now, chief product, uh, former yep. CEO, chief product at NPM, which is you know a, a hockey stick style container uh, package registry, which is a similar business to a container registry. Um, and he had very interesting insights, which I won't share here. Uh, you can listen to all of what he says about going a service-based and on-prem at the same time mm-hmm. um, and some of the th- things they've learned. So I would just submit that to you, Greg, as something that you might want to listen to and learn from his uh, experience. Uh, not that it's going to one-to-one match what y'all are up to, but you know, anytime you can learn from somebody else's experience, you can save yourself uh, bad experiences. As well, well, that just leans into the whole idea of cross-pollination. 
Yeah. Right? Like, this is the JavaScript, uh, you know, package management world, mm-hmm. you know, potentially influencing Greg and future stuff around the, this cloud. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for that um, pointer, by the way. Go check that out. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun recently launched their application performance monitoring service, APM as it's called. It was built with the developer and DevOps in mind, and they are leading with first-class support for .NET apps and also available as an Azure app service. They have plans to support .NET Core followed by Java and Ruby in the very near future. And they've done a ton of competitive research between the current APM providers out there. And where they excel is the level of detail they're surfacing. New Relic and App Dynamics, for example, are more business oriented, where Raygun has been built with developers and DevOps in mind. The level of detail they're providing in traces allows you to actively solve problems and dramatically boost your team's efficiency when diagnosing problems. Deep dive into root cause with automatic linkbacks, a source for an unbeatable issue resolution workflow. This is awesome. Check it out. Learn more and get started at raygun.com APM. Kubernetes is well known for its community. Like, if you have a conversation around Kubernetes, like even the founder of it will say it's about community, right? And then they've had that lens since the beginning. What is your perspective on community, and how are you using that to grow? Okay, so the community, the the open source community, and the idea of what it was to be, you know, an open source community and how to maintain an open source community has changed, right? I mean, back in the back when I first started doing it, the open source community was brutal. Uh, people were people were mean. People, you know, were uh, obnoxious, and they liked to prove everybody else wrong and prove themselves being better. And it was uh, competitive and, and and whatnot. It took a very hard and calloused personality to be able to um, to to excel in it. And I'm not that kind of a personality. Um, I, I've tried working with various open source. Uh, other open source projects because I love the idea of open source. I'm a biochemist by degree turned into a computer geek because I thought it was totally cool how we we, we were able to create um, uh, bioinformatics tools based on Linux in the uh, mid 90s. And I thought that was fantastic. So I just immediately became enamored with the idea of open source, but I didn't have the personality, honestly, to really be part and 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 be so callous to be able to handle this sort of things and and whatnot. So I actually found it easier to start communities and start them with a different tone, start them with a much more um, friendly tone, a much more uh, considerate tone. And, uh, you know, people, people always felt comfortable. So, I mean, as an example of this, I, I, I would, you know, start up a mailing list, start up an IRC server, uh, server or, or join Freenode or something. And, and start building up the community, start chatting with other people. Um, back in the day, we had Fresh Meat. I don't know if you guys remember Fresh Meat, where you I post your open source. <laughs> um, just a I quick heard that funny name in a long time. Long just time. a quick funny story. Um, my my mother at some point decided to do a a search for me 
and uh, fresh meat came up and she was like, I don't know what fresh meat was. I was scared <laughs> to click on the link. Um, oh, yeah. Why are you on fresh meat? Ah. Uh, and, um, <laughs> but I mean, fresh meat was really the big, you know, way that you kind of get your new open source stuff out there. And so I post a fresh meat and, and, and build this community, but I, it was always, it was about just, you know, super friendly um, wanting to just tap, chat with people, be real with people, be open to people, be open to new ideas, um, teach people, um, bring them up to speed and, and, and whatnot. I mean, even, you know, early werewolf days, early CentOS days, uh, you know, people would ask questions. I mean, on the CentOS mailing list, people would say, oh my God, I'm stuck in Vim and I can't get out. Ah, you know, and, um, you know, they, they post questions, you know, really simple, basic questions. And, and I'm always, many people. <laughs> and I'm always so happy, you know, to Thousands just Thousands of developers help are out. fighting that fight on a daily basis. <laughs> and, sorry, and continue. No, no problem at all. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking of we all of the- We have the tweets to prove it. <laughs> There's literally hundreds of developers currently stuck in Vim as we speak, just trying to get out. <laughs> Listening um, to it, the show. That's and right. Being, and being a Vim, you know, I, I, always, I always ended up landing in Vim and uh, did most of my development in Vim. So. I, I, I feel the pain. And at the same token, um, I was always really, you know, happy to help people get out of it. And, um, so here, you know, from, from the, from the perspective of, you know, an outsider, you know, here's the lead developer, the project lead helping somebody with these extraordinarily basic questions. And I think that is absolutely necessary. And, and if it's the fifth time or the 10th time or the hundredth time that that question gets asked, it's obviously still an issue. Still, you should still answer it and referencing, you know, if you just did a Google search and just look through their logs and the archives, you'd be able to find that, Oh, you know, I'm sorry. It's a pompous response. And, um, it's, it's not very, uh, welcoming. So I would always, you know, be very, um, uh, supportive, very appreciative of everybody that came into the group, whether they're developers, whether they're users and set the tone right away as that and set it from the top down. Um, I didn't tolerate people that, that became, you know, the you know, the jerk mentality. And uh, it's nice to see that many more open source projects are, are adopting this behavior, but I feel as though it was a critical um, facet for what makes a good, strong community um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and how do you develop that strong community and, and, um, and keep it on track. Um, not sure if that completely answered the question, but um, that was, that's been my experience with, with open source communities and, and leading them and running them. Well, and definitely say that your success, especially with CentOS and building that into what it still is today, I'm not sure I wasn't familiar with Werewolf, uh, didn't hit my radar previously, but I think it's it's safe to say that what used to be a competitive, you know, if you're looking at open source competitively, which mm-hmm. some people do, some people don't, I think friendliness and setting expectations and all the things that you were doing back then was a competitive advantage back then. <laughs> like it sets you apart. It's like, wow, this is actually a nice group of people to be around. I, I would agree with you that more and more it's becoming, you know, kind of table stakes uh, to a certain degree for successful communities in open source is to that be the baseline of of what they do. I'm curious with regards to specifically with singularity and the the dichotomy that we've been discussing about between you know the commercial enterprise and the open source project, and then also this siloed HPC world bringing that into the enterprise world. How do you build out other companies, other individuals who are willing to, you know, contribute back to Singularity or to really buy into the project at a contributor level? 
with the enterprise attached, you know, with the commercial side attached. And then also even like, do you want those kind of, you know, there's, there's open source projects where it's like, the, it's like somebody had a good term for it. It's like where you can look at the code, you know, like it's, it's open code or it's viewable code, but it's not as if the company actually wants you helping unless you're like doing a trivial bug fix or something. In terms of like features and direction, how do you manage the community side of those things? When you're trying to build a business around an open source project where maybe the community's contributions may actually go against the business's interests. So you brought up a couple of really just amazing points. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> no, kidding. So, for example, um, when you have a, uh, a company that releases some open some, some software and they they release it to the open source community um it, it's almost becoming a a, a you know a, a marketing initiative right they're they're like they're not interested in the collaborativeness and the openness and the the um the community side of releasing software into the open source community what they're really interested in is getting that getting that stamp we mm -hmm. are open source and you know, they, they will just release it. They don't take contributions. They don't, um, you know, or they don't look favorably upon them. Or when they do get them, um, due to uh, wanting to run and manage and, and host all of their own copyrights, I've seen organizations uh, that will actually rewrite uh, PRs, rewrite patches, uh, using, you know, all of their own resources because they don't want any uh, contamination of copyright. And so the fact that it is open source is it's a it's a marketing vehicle right it's that's so that is definitely that's one side there are companies out there doing it that is not our side at all we are first and foremost we started off as an open source community um i developed a company i have a lot of experience with open source i'm a huge open source advocate uh and when i say open source again not from the marketing perspective i'm an open source advocate because there are very um important advantages that uh, the open source community and the development mo development model uh, brings to bear. So we absolutely support collaboration. We want other companies, other organizations, um, adding code, being part of Singularity, um, joining our Slack, joining our our Google group, and um, contributing. Whether it's you know whether it's just simple, um, here's my experience is using it. Whether it's documentation, whether it is. Um, working on the core, the core code, or whether it's even going out there and just you know speaking at events and uh, user groups and and whatnot, we absolutely want it. Um, we we've had contributions from companies, from individuals, obviously from companies. Um, we've had um, a lot of academic and other government involvement. Uh, so all of this is incredibly important to us, and it is extraordinarily appreciative. And this is why. We put every bit of our code, first and foremost, into the master branch because we want to engage in that collaboration. We want to foster that communication and build a product that is or both a project as well as a product that is really meeting the needs of the users, right? We're, we're, we're not out here trying to push something that doesn't exist. I mean, everything that we've done is because we're solving a problem that our users are having, that people are complaining about, and we're solving pain points. So 
that's that's kind of our, our our model. And if we're not engaging with that community of users, we have no idea if we're even solving the right points. And honestly, I want people solving those points with us. Question on the the pro versus versus open source. Though I'm curious, just because I'm not involved in the details of this, how usable is Singularity on its own as just open source and not via the stamped version? Like. Is is there any incentive to use the straight up open source version versus Singularity Pro? Um, if you don't need commercial support, there is no advantage at all. Go use the open source stuff. Okay. Um, if you if you represent a company, if you represent um, an organization that doesn't want to rely on best effort support from a group of people sitting in a Slack channel then that's when you want to contact us, mm. right? But in terms of individuals, in terms of developers, in terms of contributors, um, and many organizations that honestly just, just want to work with open source software, go use it. There's no limitations. We are not holding it hostage, um, and we encourage it. We would love people to, to be using our open source software. Well, I don't think anybody will second guess your bona fides or however you say that considering just your long history of, of building open source communities and projects so that's awesome how has it grown so far i mean you you have people out there who are championing this you have like you said we've, we've named off a few of the organizations who are using singularity how has the contributor base grown beyond you know scilab's quote-unquote walls now, i know you're all remote and <laughs> around the world so there aren't any walls but you're you know beyond your payroll have you had an uptick in not just users, but is NVIDIA, SUSE, these other uh, organizations, are they getting involved in really making this feel like a community-driven project, or are you still trying to get that ball rolling outside of Scilabs? <laughs> it's kind of funny because every time, um, and not every time, mostly when we have people join, the, join our community, um, and and they start you know being really productive and they're 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 adding features they're adding code and they start to really kind of you know get get used to us and 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 everybody starts to you know we we all like each other we're all friends and we joke around a lot. I I typically and 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 maybe this is good maybe this is bad I don't know but I usually recruit them <laughs> and I and I try to get them to work for Scilabs and um in doing so a lot of times what we're seeing is well you know. <laughs> a lot of times you're you know, gobbling up the are, community. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, the fact is it's actually, it's, it's hard to find, um, you know, it's hard to find the development and the developer skills that we need to basically run a, and, and, and create a, a whole container platform. Yeah. Um, it requires yeah. not only um, a lot of knowledge, you know, in the, in the, in the upper end of, of application design, but also going all the way down to kernel. And there's not many, there's not many people that are, are, are really anxious and eager and, and love to do operating system coding in every, you know, anymore, um, you know, to, to, to kind of poke fun of this a little bit, you know, we see, and we saw this as well when I was working for department of energy, you know, as we're trying to recruit scientists, it was really hard because, you know, coming out of, you know, the, the universities and the PhDs and whatnot, Instead of doing research in science, they wanted to develop games for the iPhone. You know, they were they're developing a dog walking app or something instead of, you know, um, you know, something, you know, solid, instead of wanting to cure cancer um, or something along those lines. 
So it was, it's, you know, we've seen it as well, you know, again, with my other hat on my previous hat, as well as, you know, the, as well as, you know, from Scilabs, it's hard to find, it's hard to find the right people. And um, it's really nice when we do have an open source community because we are attracting individuals, not just corporations, but individuals, um, individuals at those corporations. But I mean, there's the personal side of it and you get to, you get to meet these individuals and, and develop relationships with them. And as you do it, you know, it's, it's really easy to, to offer them jobs. <laughs> so the takeaway here, developers out there in developer land is hop on the singularity repo, start contributing back significant things, and you're going to end up on a job at Scilabs. Expect an email. <laughs> well, make sure you have your email and your GitHub profile so it makes it That's a little right. easier. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So uh, to get back to the question on, on, on a, a more serious note is, you know, we, we've had a lot of people join our Slack, you know, both, both, you know, in contributing to GitHub as well as joining our Slack, being part of our mailing list. We have an extremely active and friendly uh, email list. The same thing on the Slack side. Um, it's a lot of, you know, very friendly people, um, you know, just all, you know, honestly, it's, it's as much just, you know, idle chat and, you know, getting to know each other and having fun as well as, you know, developing code and kind of coming up with new and innovative ideas for doing kind of really amazing things. You know, we, we have a lot of people that are involved with the process in terms of um, GitHub, the last, actually, I don't even want to quote a number because I don't remember, but I think it was, um, you know, it was a, it's not a huge project uh, when you compare it to something like Kubernetes and whatnot, but you know, we, we have, um, I think it's about a thousand stars and um, now, now it's making me want to look. Um, I think it's like a thousand stars and, um, you know, um, I think it's under a hundred contributors, but I mean, you know, it's a, it's a good amount. And, um, you know, I'm, we're all very appreciative uh, of everybody who wants to join the community. And again, someone doesn't have to be a developer to join. Um, as a matter of fact, we encourage non-developers as well, because the amount of benefit in terms of feedback, in terms of, um, just looking at things, being part of this, um, helping potentially with documentation, even just pointing out bugs, pointing out issues that they're finding or, um, you know, or being a conduit for reaching other people is so valuable. It's so helpful. And um, so we, we are very receptive of that. On the repo now, you got 98 watchers, 998 stars and 254, sorry, 252 forks on Singularity. So, you know, it would be fun. Let's, let's, after this, after this podcast is, um, it gets out there. It'd be fun mm, to see how much this increases. <laughs> All right. Effect. Okay. Listeners get out there. Singularity. Start that, that repo. repo. Make us proud. That's right. We know that all value in open source can be derived by star count. That's like the ultimate goal, right? That's Just true. Stars. That's the only yeah. metric that matters. That's the only metric that matters in life. Mm-hmm. I'm curious your focus though, when it comes to the future, you know, where you'd mentioned community, you'd mentioned business, you'd mentioned your principles around open source. You know, where are you personally placing your focus around Singularity and Scilabs? Uh, like, what are the biggest challenges you're facing today to move forward? We are placing a lot of emphasis and investment in everything computational. So somebody asked me recently, are we an HPC company? No, we're not. We are a compute company. We are focusing on all of the different types of compute-based workloads that are out there. And we want to use all of the, the cool tools to do that. Everything from Kubernetes to HPC resources, InfiniBand, you know, parallel file systems, batch scheduling systems, 
um, and go all the way out to edge and, and cloud and IoT. And this is where we're spending a, you know, a, a very reasonable investment uh, in terms of moving forward. We want to um, uh, facilitate the movement of AI workflows. Like, so for example, um, as opposed to more traditional compute, where basically you have a big HPC cluster and you run everything on that big HPC cluster, there's a lot of AI and ML workloads that are distributed. Like you may need a big HPC type system to train that model. But once it's trained, you now have to distribute that model wherever you're running your inferencing. And in some cases, you know, the inferencing in, 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 and where you're executing these models is not extraordinarily, uh, it doesn't need a huge amount of resources in terms of uh, compute in many cases. You know, some cases, of course, it does. But we're seeing really different types of workflows. And these workflows, in, 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 you know, in a lot of cases, it's, you know, we're still doing science trying to figure out how best to support and optimize these workflows. But these workflows are really interesting to us. Because Singularity offers a really interesting and um, an elegant solve for how do you take these, these workflows? How do you, for example, how do you build and train your model? And then how do you distribute that model to where you're doing the inferencing? And where you're doing that, I mean, it could be any sort of workload, right? You could be um, doing streamed AI. You could be looking at um, data, data analytics, you could be doing all sorts of different types of things, but the workflow as a whole, and how do we support that? How do we create an architecture to build a, uh, a pattern that we can replicate easily and better enable easy wins where everybody's looking at AI? I mean, that's one of the big, you know, the, the big areas that, you know, big organizations are like, AI is on our roadmap. We want to get there. We want to do it. But we don't know how to enable any quick wins. And it's really complicated. And it's a really high lift. And uh, we're just going to keep watching it for now. We have, we have this really cool technology that enables those, those quick wins, that enables the distribution of those workloads, that enables um, mobility of models. And that's something that we find uh, really interesting as we're moving forward. You mentioned. Uh Someone in the show, I can't remember if it was just in a breaks only or if it was in the show, jokes around slides and Jared helping you with the next VC pitch. So you'd, you'd mentioned that you're raising funds. If there's any venture capitalist listening, are you seriously raising funds? Should they reach out to you? You know, what's, what's your state of, uh, I guess, fundraising? And, and does that, how does that play into the sustainability of the project? Great questions. Um, we are seed funded at the moment. And, um, right now we are, we're, we're burning on the seed as well as, um, living off our revenue. So we are going to be doing a series a pitch. Um, kind of interesting is that as we are uh, evaluating our series a pitch, you know, and doing comparables, it seems like all of our comparables are more like series B and greater, uh, just because we've de-risked the company at this point so greatly. So, um, but yeah, there is a raise going to be coming up here pretty soon. And, um, yeah, happy to, happy to have any introductions. If anybody listening is, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. I say that because just a few shows ago, we did uh, an entire show with Joseph Jacks around OSS and, you know, commercially backed or venture backed commercial open source. So mm -hmm. I'm sure we're picking up more interests around there. And I'm sure that 
any new audience from that kind of show too, just is, is listening. Plus I'm sure there's a lot of uh, VCs out there in this, in that venture capital world paying closer attention and they're listening to shows like this to get insights. We should have a change log discount. You know, if anybody comes and they reference change log, <laughs> you know, we can have a discount code. Right. There you go. <laughs> Give me a million and it'll actually be, we'll, we'll act as if it's, a, you know, 1.2. Right. Yeah. You get an extra 5% ownership. Right. That's no I big like deal, that. right? 5% isn't that much, right? Not amongst friends. <laughs> we didn't really mention the, the Mac app either. I don't know how much that plays into it, but, you know, maybe paint the picture of, the future of getting involved, the, you know, people who want to play with this, there's a Mac app, there's uh, some user groups coming up, help people that are looking to get plugged in, get plugged in. Fantastic point. It's part of our, you, you mentioned the Mac um, uh, support, uh, something that we are working on right now and should have something released by next month is something called Singularity Desktop, which is basically just being able to run Singularity and all your containers on your Mac. Um, and again, the, the, the work, the, the, the command line interface for Singularity is incredibly simple. So it's like Singularity shell pointed at your Ubuntu container or your CentOS container or SUSE or TensorFlow even. And you hit enter and you're now sitting on your Mac. You're now sitting in that same terminal. We're now running Linux, running inside that container. Um, no dependencies or anything. You just install Singularity. It, it, it manages all of that um, operating system support and whatnot. Um, also going to be doing the same thing for Windows um, here in in a little bit, but of course we're first you know hitting with with Mac just because it's a little bit uh, closer to home in in terms of how to uh, enable that on the Mac. So that's something we're working on. So imagine you don't need a VM anymore, install VMware or or anything to to, to run Linux on your Mac. Um, so that's something that we're working on. The other thing as well, um, again, this is kind of on the community side is we've had a lot of people really interested in a user group. So we, uh, we, we reached out to some people and we said, hey, is anybody interested in, in, in this? San Diego Supercomputing Center uh, basically raised their hand and said, yes, we're, we're really interested in this and we'd love to help support this. So uh, SDSC, the Supercomputing Center in, in San Diego, uh, is uh, going to be hosting our user group. It is next month. We just closed our, our CFP. So um, we're now just basically building up the agenda. Uh, but if people are interested, uh, maybe that's something um, that, uh, I don't know, guys, can we post the link yeah. for that? Link in the show notes for sure. We'll, we'll make sure we get that from you and put that in the show notes. So listeners, you know that. When you go and you listen to a show like this, you know to expect uh, great links in the show notes. So hit that up. Link's there. Very cool. I, 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 didn't, wa I didn't want to presume that I could plug in and in, in whatnot. No, please do. <laughs> Too much. Okay. No, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, so that's happening next month. Um, we have some great talks um, aligned. It's going to be mostly focused on the containerization side of compute. So if people are interested in compute and whatnot um, and, and how to containerize those workflows, um, both HPC, science, as well as AI and enterprise-focused workflows, um, I encourage you to check out that user group. Good deal. Thank you so much, uh, Greg, for coming on the show, man. It's been awesome to hear from you and just the Jared. I'm so glad we're, we're in the know now. I feel better about my life because now we know about singularity <laughs> and that's right. Maybe that's what the audience feels like too. So it, it, audience, if you do, we have discussions on our show. That's right. Uh, so go back to changelaw.com, uh, look up the podcast, every single podcast has discussions now so greg i'm sure you're gonna be tuning in and listening to 
our community coming there and sharing more stories with you or questions or whatnot. So if you've got those questions, head to uh, head to changelaw.com and, and uh, drop in the discussions and have a chat with Greg and the rest of us about singularity in the future, where this is going. But uh, Greg, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, I love chatting with you guys. Um, and and both the on-show as well as the off-show discussions mm. have been fantastic. Uh, a, a lot of fun. Enjoyed it thoroughly. And if you guys ever want to uh, chat with me again, uh, open welcome. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now. So head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, Linode, Clubhouse, and Raygun. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stukowiak, and Jared Santo. And our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master. Or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon. I'm Nick Nisi. This is K-Ball. And I'm Rachel White. We're panelists on JS Party, a community celebration of JavaScript and the web. Every Thursday at noon central, a few of us get together and chat about JavaScript, Node, and topics ranging from practical accessibility to weird web APIs. Jared, I just have to ask a, a very serious question. When you're using that operator, uh, do you actually blurt out, bang, bang? <laughs> I, if you're working I, in an office, would everybody just look at you? <laughs> I, I don't blurt it out, but I definitely say it in my head every single time. Join us live on Thursdays at noon central. Listen and Slack with us in real time or wait for the recording to hit. New episodes come out each Friday. Find the show at changelog.com slash jsparty or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Daniel Whitenack. And I'm Chris Benson. We host Practical AI, a show making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. You'll hear interviews with AI influencers and practitioners, and we'll keep you up to date with the latest news and learning resources so that you can cut through all of the hype. In terms of environmental sustainability, like Microsoft has won numerous awards for that. We've been carbon neutral since 2012. But the way we look at it is even if Microsoft was absolutely perfect, there's only so much impact Microsoft as a company is having just in our own operations. So how could we scale out even more? AI for Earth was really our answer to that question. By dedicating this $50 million over five years, that enables everyone to be able to partake. New episodes of Practical AI premiere every Monday. Find the show at changelog.com slash practical AI or wherever you listen to your podcasts.